Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. This is Father Bonaventure, that's who I am, and Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, who's in Providence right now, and I'm in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to another episode of God's Planning, where we talk about Dominican issues. We reflect on culture, theology, literature, philosophy. Uh, from a Dominican perspective, and hopefully provide things for your life and your spiritual growth and nourishment. So we'll just start off with some usual opening chit-chat. Father Patrick Murray, how are you? Well, I was just thinking that if I weren't in Providence, would I say that I weren't in Providence? I mean, I suppose like the intro would be a lot more interesting if there weren't an international pandemic going on and we could actually be different places, right? Like, oh, hey, you know, together we're actually in person in Washington. That's true. That's true. I, I, I tend to think that people like to locate stuff. So, you know, in case they want to send fan mail or protest you after this top podcast or something. So it's good to know where they could find you. If, uh, <laughs> That's if, right. If, if such yeah. occurs. Now, I don't, unless you're French, I don't particularly think that you'll dislike this podcast, but hopefully even the French will like this podcast because we're going to be fr- good. We're going to be good to the French uh, and Americans we are generally going aren't to be. good at this. Yeah. But before... The- the French do love a good protest, though, so I they do, do expect, you know, See, there it is. a strike or some kind of some kind of obser- uh, observance of the podcast. We we shall see. We shall see. Um, it's also a special day for Father Patrick and I uh, because this is marks the tenth anniversary on, on well July twenty fifth around this time that we uh, entered into the Dominican life by entering St Gertrude's in Cincinnati, the novitiate. Um, so any reflections on 10 years as being a Dominican or related to the Dominicans in some fashion? Because of course that first, those first three weeks are postulancy and then you do the novitiate, the boot camp, um, when you receive the habit on the, on St. Dominic's day. But this was the day 20, 25th around this time of year. This is when we, uh, entered 10 years ago. Yeah, we talk about the novitiate a lot. It's the source of, um, the friendship of the five of us who, uh, who host the show undoubtedly, right? Um, but mm. the novitiate... You know, of course, we, we've changed beyond it, but the novitiate really reveals who someone is. Uh, mm. And so every time I think back on that experience, I'm, I'm mar- I marvel at just like how my own life was laid so bare. Mm. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's, what, that's what allowed, that's what allowed um, our class to be, to be so close, to be so well-formed. Um, we had many great adventures, garden parties. That's uh, right. Garden yard, parties. Yard field trips. Yeah, field right, trips. We, yeah. <laughs> field trips, garden parties, and and so much more. So um yeah, the novitiate. Ten out of ten would recommend, but very, very difficult to yeah. describe exactly what that did for us. <laughs> impossible, impossible to describe. Um, but I will say, uh, as a segue into the episode, I think the first thing I knew about you, or one of the first things I knew about you uh entering the novitiate was that you were a, a French, a French major, that you'd studied uh French and you were a Francophile in a way, because we were and we were talking about this and your experience in France um while we were hunting toads one evening or something, as one does. Um so It was the novitiate people. Yeah, you do strange things. Um you gotta get a you know, you gotta figure out some way to uh survive the pressure, pressure cooker of of the Lord. Um so we had thought this because I knew that Father Patrick was a, a Francophile, and I have some French—I uh, don't know—I have some French fans, you could say, or I'm a fans of some French thinkers. We thought we'd do an episode talking about the influence of France and relationship to Catholicism, because there are these national kind of accents, you could say, to the faith. The faith is universal, of course, the Catholic, Catholic, so overall, but. They come in different accents, just like there's America, but we have different accents in America. And 
So we thought we'd talk about the particular accents that the French people and France through history has given to the faith that allows a richness to understanding what it is that the church is up to and what Christ is doing. It's a rich, rich tradition. So we thought we'd talk about that. Um, but first, your background in French things, Father Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. Uh, so as Father Bonaventure said, I, I majored in French in college, actually. It was one of, the, one of those things that I kind of stumbled into. I did a uh, study abroad program when I was in high school. Actually, even before that, I started taking French in high school because um, I wasn't too thrilled with the particular person who was teaching Spanish. The French teacher was just a lot more fun. And uh, that, that class was more exciting in grade school. So that was why I started in, in French um, and then kept it in high school because I could finish the honors diploma more quickly if you, if you study the same language. Mm. And, then, um, in, and then at that point, I had three years of the language and uh, my grades were good and I seemed a good applicant for um, an intensive study abroad program sponsored by Indiana University. Um, so I spent uh, a summer in France when I was in high school um, not speaking any English and that's really... That's mm-hmm. really the only way that it would have been possible for me to have learned a language so thoroughly, yeah. right? Um, yeah, just for most of us. In complete immersion, you know, with limited limited contact home, we emailed home once a week. We didn't call. We didn't we didn't write, read, think, or speak English um, for ten weeks. Um, and it's really it's really that which um, really that experience which steeped mm-hmm. me in French culture. It was lovely. We lived up in um, Brittany, which is in the north, and has a marvelous um, Celtic deep Celtic traditional culture. Um, and it's, it's there that I got a sense for the, for the marks of French Catholicism. So mm. especially in the North, mm. Brittany, Brittany and Normandy alike, um, one sees alongside the road um, monuments that are called calvaires. Um, some of them are very simple, um, just a simple stone cross. Um, they're very ancient. Um, some of them look very Celtic. They look like Irish crosses. Mm-hmm. And some of them are very elaborate. There's a, there's a famous calvaire not far from Brest that has hundreds of carved figures. And um, the priest mounts this thing. It's actually a pulpit, this grand monument of Calvary. And the priest mounts it and reads the gospel every Passion Sunday outside of the church. Right. Uh, so, you, so you have just these, these little monuments everywhere. You have the, the historic churches, um, the, the local saints, um, and all, all, of that, all of that provides a, a sense of Catholicism that was just radically different from growing up Catholic in northern Indiana, believe it or not. Yes. Well, that's, and that's, that's a good point because um, France is steeped in Catholicism in a way that um, America, we're, we're really a Protestant country. So we have, we have a particular form of Protestantism. It's different than, say, Protestantism in Korea or Africa. But the country in general is, is very Protestant. And so Catholics have always had, since been outsiders, but you know, we, we, we do well and stuff. And I remember you think of John F. Kennedy trying to become president and the concern that maybe the Pope would send him special messages about what to do. So America is this deeply imbibed Protestantism and that matters to kind of us. We have a particular key. But France as well, for the longest time, been, of course, Catholic and it's deeply Catholic. So even in the secular writers and the secular culture, they have this. So let's just talk briefly, if you can, uh, since we're both men who care about history, as uh, if you've listened to podcasts before about uh, reaction to the past and R.G. Collingwood, let's talk about just the history of uh, how did France get drenched in Catholicism? What are some key points, maybe some saints that people would know or some just some experiences and historical events that they wouldn't know that give us at least some some signposts to why France is so Catholic and what makes it Catholic. 
Right. So one of the characters in um, kind of the, the mythic French history is Clovis the first, right? Who's the, who becomes the first king of all the Franks. You know, he's kind of, he's united the Frankish tribes and built basically what we think of as modern day France. Okay. So he's united all these, all these tribal lands um, uh, and become, become their king. And he, Clovis is the founder of what, what is known as the Merovingian dynasty. Um, the mark of the Merovingian dynasty, hilariously, is long hair. Hmm. So if you if you offended, if you if you were a family member, um, you remember the Merovingian dynasty, and you you offended um, you offended someone, you committed a wrong, they would shave your head and send you to a monastery because you could not be an heir with a shaven head. Wow! Wow! <laughs> because the, Merovingi- wore- <laughs> the Merovingians wore their hair long. Wow! Sissies back mm-hmm. then. Okay. Anyway, so uh, so Clovis Clovis is the first king of the Franks. And he converts to Catholicism after winning a particular battle. Now, it's very important here that I say he converted to Roman Catholicism because, uh, as you most assuredly know, Father Bonaventure, at the time, many Germanic tribes were still Aryans. And Correct. so Clovis's first interest in Christianity was actually an interest in Aryan Christianity. Mm-hmm. But because of the influences of his wife, Clotilde, who is honored as a saint in Catholic and Eastern churches, um, Clovis ended up becoming baptized a, a Roman Catholic. That was on Christmas Day in AD 508. Wow. That's a very long time. Yes. So for 1,500 years, the predominant mm-hmm. religious influence in France has been Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism. That's right. Yes. And yeah, so that's been stewing france has been stewing in this roman catholicism and it's produced some great saints of course uh i think many people familiar when they think about france and saints will think about joan of arc and her she was in the 1400s so 1400s through and a short life but many people have read maybe mark twain's biography of her but what is what's what's up with joan of arc and france did she have a did, did when you were there did you experience was she important to france did you get a sense of that or Actually, before we jump to Joan, can I say one more thing about the kind of ancient roots of the this French sh- faith? This is your show. You rock on. So I just want to mention um, that, you know, so I jumped right to Clovis because that's the kind of connection between um, the political rig- religious nexus in France. Of course, there are other even more ancient um, signs of faith. So there are many early Christians, and by early Christians, I mean first century Christians living in, in, in Lyon, Toulouse, these parts of southern, southern France, right? So you can mm. just see the Christians coming up right from Italy, right from the Mediterranean and settling down there. So you have, um, you have famous saints like Irenaeus of Lyon, who are, who are French mm. first and second century saints properly. Um, even before that, though, I can't, I can't not mention it. Um, even before that, though, there's, a, there's an ancient tradition among the French people that Mary Magdalene herself came and settled in the south of France and right. preach the gospel there. Um, oh, and that is particularly nice for us, for us Dominicans. This, this is important to us, right? Because um, the Dominicans uh, are, are present at her, the Dominicans are present um, where her relics are honored there in the south of France, um, a, a place where the men apparitions and so forth. Um, but because she is one of our patronesses, when St. Dominic founded the order, he gave us, of course, Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene is one of these saints at the, at the at the heart of the French Catholic imagination, mm. um, she she really dwells at the center of um, of French Catholic spirituality. Um, there have been several French Catholic religious orders um, who who have honored her. Um, the Dominicans, we ourselves are t- are actually a French religious institute. We were founded in the south of France. Um, That's right. 
by Saint Dominic, our Spaniard founder. But um, I think that I think that Mary Magdalene, as the first preacher of the gospel, mm. and as a kind of um, faithful, faithful, faithful daughter, um, is is a symbol of France, who is often called um, the eldest daughter of the church for this reason, wow. for this kind of ancient faithful connection between Rome. Roman Catholicism, Rome, and um, uh, and the Church. Now, can I? Okay, make- so I just I just had to get all that up. That's fine. We got well, to that's Joan of Arc. no, no, and that's fine. Joan of Arc is good, and and uh, also though, since you keep bringing up, you, you've emphasized so many times Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, and uh, you talked about the Arian one before, but also France has its history. You could say, I mean, Gallicanism. People might have been familiar with this sort of thing. Yeah, of course. There's a question of how Roman Catholicism relates to French Catholicism. So if you could just briefly mention that before we take a break and then get into some kind of themes and things in French, French Catholicism today. I'm, I'm smiling very deeply right now because, um, you know, even, even though I've emphasized this, um, this, this great connection to Rome, of course, in the, in the French tradition, there, there have been tensions here. So Father Bonaventure is referring to Gallicanism, which is, um, which is an idea uh, that divorces the spiritual and temporal influences of the church. Um, so Jacques Benin Bossuet wrote in 1682 um, what's called the Declaration of the Clergy, which was a, essentially a document prescribing um, what we would what we would think of as, a, as an essentially modern idea that um, I don't want to say limited, but prescribed certain modes of influence um, for the church uh, within within French culture. And in that sense. Um, Gallicanism is a kind of um, Gallicanism is a comfortable thing because we as Americans have a very strong understanding of the separation between church and state. But this was not this was not the case in France un- until that time. Um, another another issue within Gallicanism, not not just this idea of of the kind of separation between spiritual and temporal realms. Um, another issue in Gallicanism is the appointment of bishops. Mm-hmm. So you know, if we're being honest, from the earliest days, um, Clovis. Uh, the rest of the Frankish Merovingian kings appointed abbesses and bishops who were amenable to their to the <laughs> to mm-hmm. the to their own efforts. Right. So, in the earliest days, um, the French Church, although although Roman and loyal to Rome, um, was also very French. Uh, yes. And so, if we under if we understand Gallicanism properly, we see that we see that the later French kings, um, Louis XIV, of course, perhaps being one of the most notorious, um, appointed bishops that were that that would serve um, their own political ends. And so Gallicanism, when we think about that, can also mean a rejection of uh, even, a rejection even of the bishops appointed by Rome. Um, yeah, in, that's in right. In preference for, for, for local, um, truly French appointments. So uh, we can talk about the divorce across the Alps, as it were, the divorce across the mountains. And of course, the, the only other place in Rome that has had a Pope take up residence, I suppose, is Avignon. So we have, you know, so... Anyway, long story, I'm sure. That's a lot of history, which is great. And we could talk just days about this. But I want to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about particularly the literary influences in France because Father Patrick has great affection for that and knowledge as well, which is always good to go together. So uh, hang on for a second. We'll be back in God's Plane speaking about French Catholicism. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back. Or how do you say that in French, Father Patrick? Bienvenue. 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 I should know that. <laughs> Buena ventura. Um, so welcome. Just bienvenue. welcome. 
So welcome, yeah, welcome back to Godsplaining. We're talking about French Catholicism, and we talked a little bit about the history of it and the kind of national aspect to French Catholicism in both good ways and yeah, maybe some not as, as you know, salubrious ways. Um, but now let's talk about a particular aspect that I, I care a lot about. If anyone listens to Godsplaining, I'm generally talking about literature um, with Father Gregory, but now it's Father Patrick, and France has a beautiful, wonderful literary history and especially one that is, well, indebted to Catholicism so that we have a great tradition of this, which many people are probably not familiar with, uh, some of the French authors, but the beautiful things they have. So, Father Patrick, could you just take us through maybe some some key authors, some key themes um, that we take from, if we were to read French literature, uh, French Catholic literature, you could say? Right. I actually want to start in the 17th century with, um, with uh, Father Br- Barul, uh, so I always mispronounce his name. Um, he's the founder of the. He's the founder of um, the what we would call um, what we, we what we would call modern spirituality. So there was a French school that um, was a renewal school of the priesthood, um, and this came out of a group of thinkers, a group of seminary professors um, at Saint Sulpice, the great seminary in Paris, and so forth. Um, so there was this whole movement of modern spirituality one of the things present in this movement of modern spirituality was always an affinity for modern um, theories of cognition. Hmm. So this is the point, right, where, um, where the French Catholic school becomes uh, very allied to the intellectual life. I mean, it has been historically, right? Aquinas, hmm. um, uh, of Paris, Aquinas teaching at the University of Paris and so forth. So, so there, there's been a comfort um, with, with, um, the, gro- the growth of the intellectual tradition always in French Catholic spirituality. But here, it becomes really allied with the life of the mind. Mm. Um, okay, so why would I start there? Because when we look at modern French literature, we see this kind of early alliance coming into full flourishing. So uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Francois Mariac. Mariac mm. was a member of the French Academy, a winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. He was awarded um, the Cross of the, the Legion of Honor. I mean, all these tremendous accomplishments recognizing his great skill as a writer. What is it that makes Mauriac so great? I think it's his acute insight into the life of the mind. So if you read, if you read the novel Viper's Tangle, which is um, the novel for which he was awarded Nobel Peace Prize. Um, Nobel Peace Prize or Nobel Prize? Sorry, in Prize in Literature. Uh, yeah, I mean, all Nobel Prizes are the same. Well, we know the Nobel Peace Prize is awarded for all sorts of reasons. So we not going to remember that? But yes, go ahead. That's so embarrassing. Thank you for catching that. I can't believe no, it. Yeah. I was just thinking of Moriak, you know, and lost in it. Um, yeah. So there we are in Viper's Tangle, um, which is a novel which features the, the kind of French answer to Dickens's um, Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, so, you, so you have this, you you have this man just obsessed with money and control of his family, which is a little bit different flavor than Dickens' character. But, but the insight into the way he thinks, I think, is only possible because of this great spiritual tradition, which is which has explored the the depths of the the life of the mind. Um, so, I think uh, you know, if I wanted to present, if as I'm doing today, just a, f- a few key things about a few key Catholic novelists, you know, the first one is to say to you, this guy, Francois Mauriac, understands the mind. And he understands it because of this great French um, kind of intellectual, spiritual tradition. Mm. Okay. Um, so Mauriac, who else would, would come up in people's mind? If you think of Leon Bloy, um, a playwright, I suspect. Um, who else would, would people 
would be kind of central to this. I think it's interesting. People know Russian literature. If, if almost everyone says, "Oh, well, Russian literature," we got Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and Turgenev and all those guys. Um, but and maybe American literature, of course, we're familiar with with Melville and and Hawthorne and others. Um, but for French and maybe some British literature might know some about as, uh, as well. But the French literature, so I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are going to draw a blank. So Franz, Francois Mauriac is fantastic. What's another? Who else would would be on your kind of top hit list that you you'd say this is a person who, if you got some time, say there's a pandemic or something going on, and you're looking for things to do because you can only watch the news so much, eventually it, it just destroys you and corrupts your mind because it's all bad news. What if you wanted some good? French Catholic news, like where else? Where else would you turn and recommend for for the for people to to find um, some comfort and some well some stimulation intellectually? Well, my absolute favorite is the poet playwright um, Paul Claudel. Oh, he's okay. the absolute best. Um, okay. One of the reasons why I would I would mention Paul Claudel is because he was a diplomat, and mm. he understood. He understood um, the the political sense. Okay, so and I think one of one of the one of the things we suffer in American culture is um, a kind of iso- cultural isolationism. So I think that as the academy continues to specialize, um, we we lose the ability for this kind of um, inter. Uh, interaction, this deep interaction between specializations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Claude, Claudel, Claudel, as a as a writing politician, um, he did that. He brings he brings the political into into his writings and animates it. You know, he he's controversial in a lot of respects. His politics very uh, they're they're a particular kind of conservatism that even mm-hmm. most French Catholics today um, are are wary of. Um, but I think that's interesting. We don't have anyone doing that um, yeah. in, in a very serious way, and so that that's why I think Claudel. That's why I think Claudel is so particularly fascinating. I mean, he he wrote he wrote tre- tremendous tremendous poems. His Stations of the Cross, um, for example, are, are just magnificent—a kind of poetic following of Christ's passion. So some of it is very 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 overtly religious, and some of it's not. the The last author I would say, um, if I could just give three, I love giving three. Sure. That's is, great. Um, is Bernanos, um, George mm. Bernanos. Um, Who people might so, be a little more familiar with because um, there's been movies based on his yeah, work which are kind of exactly. butcherous, but yeah, go ahead. So I've sort of left him as the last because I thought he would be the most popular, mm. um, in some ways the easiest to access. Why yeah. is that? Because Bernanos has a kind of, uh, Bernanos offers this novel, Diary of the Country Priest. He, he's got some many other great novels. Um, Under the Son of Satan is another great novel by Bernanos. Um, uh, but... Anyway, Bernanos um, is is a kind of figure who offers um, this exploration of the life of clergy. Um, mm-hmm. So that would be the third thing that I want to say that's particular about French yeah. um, French literature, uh, because the depiction of the priest is, um, in some ways, more profound than the depiction of the priest in other in other English novels. Okay, so you can put Diary of the Country Priest in the same genre as Willa Cather's. Um, uh, Death, Death comes for the Archbishop and Graham Greene's. Um, what's the novel about the Power and Glory? Thank you, um, mm-hmm. Priest in Mexico. So Graham Greene's oh. Power and Glory, right? There's like yep. a genre that this exists in. Mm-hmm. But um, Bernanos is able to, I think, as a priest, Bernanos is able to to capture even more profoundly the kind of um, uh, tortured heart, the kind of worries, um, and 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 also the joys, the kind of things that actually, actually, the graces that actually sustain and move the priest. Um, 
I think that's all there. Uh, mm. I realize that's a difficult claim in light of the story arc of Diary of Country Priest, which I will not reveal if you have not read it, but right. I think it's true. So, so I think that Francois Mauriac represents the best of the French um, intellectual, truly mm. cognitive um, tradition. I think that Paul Claudel um, is able to bring a kind of sense of the political into his writings. And I think the Bernanos really understands um, the, the struggles, the triumphs, the joys of the priesthood in, in a way that are not, that are not elsewhere depicted. Um, wow. That's, that's beautiful. And so those are recommended for you if you're looking for someone to read um, during the pandemic. Let's shift to something. Let's shift now to, well, the intellectual side still, of course, because I think as, well, as we wrap this up uh, a little bit later, you'll notice the intellectual is the key in a way, I think, the, to the accent of what France brings to Catholicism. Um, in philosophy and theology, of course, when I was uh, a Protestant, you didn't worry about f- learning French because French was a language that was for theology and Catholic theology, whereas German, for instance, was the language you wanted to learn for biblical scholar- scholarship and Protestant theology. So I was, I was very early on key to, if you spoke French, that's because you want to be a Catholic theologian. And if you spoke German and read German, that's because you want to be a Protestant uh, theologian or a philosopher. And I, I think that's continued to stay with me because there is something deeply, well, in Catholicism, I should say, France has produced some of the best thinkers and it has produced some of the best legacies. So uh, this is not just true. It continues Dimit- even still, which I think is very important. Even still, we'll, yeah. We'll get to that. So, so, um, continues to because in a way france was it's it's catholic theology was at the root of even it's in its philosophy always a part of it it just they always took this seriously so if you just think about two great philosophers in the 1600s uh descartes rene descartes and and blaise pascal of course descartes founder of modern philosophy so-called and pascal um well i guess an anti-philosopher in a way both significant philosophers and both deeply indebted to catholicism uh, Descartes wrote all the stuff, sends his meditations on to the, the, the theologians at the Sorbonne for approval because he says, look, I've got proofs of the existence of God and the proofs of the existence and immortality of the soul. And this is the most important thing. So we read him, I think today we read of Descartes as like a founder of modern, the- modern philosophy and the turn to the subject. But for him, that's an Augustinian type of thing. It's a turn to the, turn to the soul and to the, the cogito because that's where you get to know God and you get to know yourself. So this thing, so it's, so even in, you could say the founder of modern secular philosophy, René Descartes, you find deeply, someone who's deeply committed to the Catholic faith, writes about transubstantiation, writes about defending the doctrines of the church, all this sort of thing. Um, And Blaise Pascal, of course, uh, very committed to revelation and doesn't like Descartes because Descartes too reasonable, but what they're not, interested in having a debate about is whether catholic stuff matters okay that's just in the philosophy aspect now theology though that's even a richer terrain you could find for catholics so what do you think that the the french have offered to catholic theology would you say Maybe well, it could be with dominicans or not yeah well so i mean that's where, that's where I, what i would jump to um let's do it you know following following um following leo's eternipatris in the 19th century it was the French Dominicans um, that in many ways um, empowered this uh, intellectual renaissance um, for the Catholic Church. So um, there was a, a very famous seminary in Paris um, called the Sochoir. It ended up in exile a couple of times because, oh yeah, there were major world wars going on. Um, but, the, but the Sochoir produced 
the social art produced um, some of the, the towering figures of 20th century Catholic um, Catholic theology. We can we can think of um, we can we can look especially to um, in my mind Eve Congar as as just this the, the, this profound theologian uh, of ecclesiology in particular um, who was so influential during the time of the Second Vatican Council and, and following. Um, so, so we need to understand that that Congar came out of something, though. That even before Congar, there was Gergou Lagrange, for example, the, the great the great Thomistic um, theologian and philosopher who taught at the Angelicum in Rome for so many years. Um, and and the, these two to to see that these two men, um, and again, there there are many others, but I've chosen only to name two. That these two came out of something. You know, there was so there was already this mm. this revival of Saint Thomas and this um, this kind of um, uh this this culture of of theological inquiry that that was um abounding in france um uh, whereas it wasn't elsewhere um so i that you know that's where i would just start and say like well what, what did what did what did the dominicans do um and how was it possible and we can point to we can point to these two men i mean of course um french jesuits of the 20th century um also need to be mentioned. They have their they have their own extraordinary tradition. Um, but but again, that tradition was part of a larger reviving French culture. Um, yeah, and I think that's if we think about as we started with this notion of uh, being a unified country in America, but having different accents and different things that each part of this country adds to the American experience. In the same way, with the Catholic Church is universal around the world. But there are different accents that are given to it by its different national national churches in a way, um, national expressions of itself. And the French one, I hope if you've been listening uh, attentively or not attentively, it should be obvious that France's, to my mind, its accent is the intellectual life, that it takes the life of the mind so very seriously, has done for a long time, that's not a new project, and gives a, a an emphasis to thinking clearly and profoundly to the faith that in some other places has not been emphasized as much. We have to thank the French for that, uh, for giving us an intellectual commitment in the deepest, most profound sense. And I think a lot of this is, uh, you know, we need to, why should this be studied, right? Why should we be thinking about this as Americans? Well, because following the French Revolution, the French faced a much more militant, rabid, even um, secularism than, than we have in the United States. Um, there, there are many Catholic martyrs of the French Revolution. American Catholics don't always have a sense for the kind of loss um, mm. of the church that 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 um, that, that was experienced um, in light of the French Revolution. So, so there are many great Catholic martyrs, right? Pe- people who gave their lives um, for the faith during the French Revolution. Um, following that, you know, the, the, to to create some kind of dialogue. Um, in, in the tumultuous um, French political history following the French Revolution is is an incredible thing, and something that we as Americans need to think about and appropriate mm-hmm. in a way in a way that actually responds to to the secular the secularization of our own country today. Um, so this is why I think that this is why I think it's so important for us to study the French um, cultural and intellectual Catholic mm-hmm. tradition because um, it, it should be inspiring um, to us as Americans as we continue to undertake this project in our own voice um, today. Well, that's that's a fantastic idea. Maybe we'll have to do another episode on the appropriation of the French genius, you could say, to the, our current American experience and political uh, situation. But for now, we'll call it quits and uh, offer people a do.
And we thank you for listening to God's Planning. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Um, other people might be interested, especially those who like French people or those who don't like French people. Um, France has a lot to add, and please share it around. We hope that you're all doing well during the pandemic, keeping safe, and we look forward to hearing. We, will, we look forward to speaking to you again, and know that you're in our <laughs> prayers uh, during this summer and during these weeks. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.